everybody, and welcome to another My Ruby Story. This week, we're talking to Pedro Cavaliero. Yep, that's me. Um, now, you're you're kind of an interesting, I guess, uh, mix of cultures. Uh, you live in Germany, but you're from Brazil. Yep. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we had you on episode 390 of Ruby Rogues, and we talked about creating a Heroku-like deployment solution with Docker, uh, which kind of had a whole bunch of my brain uh, melting. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Anyway, this episode, uh, we typically talk to people and kind of find out what they're working on and, you know, how you got into coding and things like that. So, yeah, but before we do that, why don't you go ahead and let people know a little bit more about yourself, uh, what you like, who you, you know, what you're into these days. It, it could be code related, doesn't have to be. Yeah, just let us know who you are. Yeah, sure. Um, so, I said, my name is Pedro. Uh, I, am, I come from Brazil. But uh, I'm living in Germany for the past, now I think it's around eight months. I just moved here last year. Um, and I, I'm also, I'm still working with software. <laughs> uh, I started I, more or less 10 years ago working with that. Um, I was always a lot into computers and into gaming and other stuff like technology. Uh, and so for me, it was not a surprise to be, to end up being a software developer. Um, um, I worked in oh. a few, uh, yes. I was going to say, do you want to just tell us that story real quick about how you got into software? Yeah, actually this, um, uh, before going really into software, um, I was, as I said, uh, I was, since I was very young, I was really into, um, like computers and uh, gaming and trying to understand how stuff worked. And a lot of, I used to, to disassemble my, my parents, uh, all, all, all electronic stuff that I could find and nice. put my hands on. So like these old radios and TVs and everything. So I was always, my, my, my eyes used to shine when I uh, yeah, had the, the possibility to take one of those stuff and, just disassemble them, um, everything. So I think this somehow this this kind of made me um, choose this path of becoming a software developer. But how did I start it? Um, I was I was since I always always liked computers. Uh, I ended up working with that, but in, in one of those um, computer shops, doing maintenance, like formatting PCs installing windows and configuring printers and stuff like that. But uh, back in the day when I was living in Brazil uh, and my, my, uh, when I was a teenager, 
um, it was fun to, to work with that, but I didn't really, I wasn't really able to get a career working with that because um, it's like this very like common jobs, at least for most of them that we had there. Um, so after working with that for, let's say a couple of, a couple of years, I think like maybe three years, um, I kind of got, uh, I, I got frustrated with that, uh, about not being able to really grow in a career, um, working with that. So at that moment, I remember that some years ago, uh, I had a friend, actually he's still my friend, but, uh, I have a friend who, who was a software developer and he has, he had his own company and he once he told me, man, you, you have good logic. You, you should try to work with software. Like I will work with software and I can earn quite good money. And I think it might be, be a good, a good uh, developer as, as well. So he, he lent me a book. Um, I think it was about, the book was PHP 4 or something like that. Uh, web development with PHP 4. And I started reading that book but it didn't make any sense for me. It was like, wow, okay, we have this while and this four and all this stuff. So what do I do with this, this stuff? Like, how, how can I make it, it work, right? So I really didn't get much like touched by that, by that book. It was like maybe four years before that, that moment in time. So when I, I got frustrated, I remember that day. I was like, hmm, maybe I should give it another, another try of trying to, to work with that, that stuff. So I talked with him, uh, with my friend again, and asked him, man, how, how do I start with this? How can I really try to go deep into that? Because I explained to him that I couldn't really understand much of what to do with that book and how, how do I make things work with that? And then he suggested me to do a small um, like programming course. Like it is more or less like a bootcamp, but not so strong as a bootcamp. So that's what I did. I studied programming, like basically basic web development, like PHP, JavaScript, uh, um, basic databases, and some UML and stuff like that for I think like six months, a couple of times a week. And then after that, uh, I was just like some weeks after finishing the course, I was able to get my first my first job. So it was quite not a very very fancy story, not very like oh my god, so it a very um, impressive, sorry, it was like very normal way of getting into it. I got frustrated by my career and tried to get into this new career and managed to do that. So this is how I started. Nice. It's interesting too. I mean, um, I talked to people who got in 10 years ago like you did, and it seems like a lot more of them went the more traditional get a computer science degree route and things like that. But as I talk to more people who have gotten into programming more recently, um, I find that a lot more of them kind of either were self-taught or went through a course or went through a boot camp, and so yeah, you know your your story is interesting in that it happened ten years ago. Yeah, but but it you know it's it's much less unique now because there are so many resources out there for people to go learn from. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I also think this is interesting nowadays. It's very easy to to find people who doesn't have like a real graduation, like a um, academic title but uh, they are very good professionals they they are like very well known in the community uh and this is quite interesting back in the day it's like it, it happened i have some friends that work in, the, in this area same amount of time as me um 
but I think like for formal software development, it was more common to really go into graduation and like study three, four, five years and then start working. Um, in, in my case, I actually, I have, I have a degree. Um, it's, it's not like a, it's similar. It looks like a bachelor, but in Brazil, it's a little shorter course. Uh, it's like, it's a two and, two and a half years course. Um, and when I did it after working, like when I was in my, I think in my fifth or sixth year working already, and I decided to, okay, let me, I think maybe it will be good for me to, to do this kind of, to do this, 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 um, course, this graduation. Because I knew that at the time that if I someday uh, wanted to work outside of the country, like get a get a, a an offer from another country, that would help me, and indeed it helped. So here I am. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. In the yeah. U.S., we call a two-year degree an associate's degree. Oh yeah, I think it's something like that. So yeah, something similar to that, and that makes sense. Was that in um, in computer-related stuff or? Yeah. Yeah, it was it was um, um, software um, system analysis and software development was the name of the course. It was basically a lot of different uh, programming languages, a lot of um, theory in methodologies and um, how to plan stuff, how to to think about how to build your software, your systems, and like very things that we do on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So how long were you doing? So I guess your first programming job was what, PHP then? Is that? Yeah, yeah, it was PHP. I worked with PHP for five years, I think, more or less. And then I, I, I was part of a small, I had some friends who they are, were starting a small startup, a project, a side project. And then they invited me to, to go work with them. But at that time, um, um, I was like a junior developer. And then I, I didn't, um, I wasn't responsible for ch uh, choosing how would we work? Which technology would we use and everything? There, was, uh, there were other developers that were called as well. I didn't know them at the time. And they were like senior uh, than me and they choose for us to use Ruby on Rails. And at the time I, never, I have never worked with Ruby on Rails, but I, I've, I've, I have read about it. And so I was kind of curious to work with that. So I was like, hmm, let's give it a try. I was actually trying to to learn it somehow. Maybe that's my chance. So I worked with that for like six to eight months um, in in my spare time, and then uh, I I left the project because I didn't have more more time. I had to do other stuff, and like I had to to quit. And then I stopped working with with Rails, and continued working with PHP for I think more one year more or less. And then in, the, in this, the company that I was working at that time, we got to a point that we had a very bad uh, written software. Uh, and it was a very legacy software, uh, had no tests, uh, like this very problematic uh, piece of code. And then we decided that we, we wanted to rewrite that, that, that code, that, that software. And then uh, we had the 
um, fabulous idea of rewriting it from scratch uh, in a new language uh, that we, no one knew at the time. <laughs> that sounds like a terrific idea. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I say that having never ever done that myself. Yeah, and I, and I think if I'm not wrong, yeah, and we also decided everyone when when it was uh, in that time when we were starting to talk about microservices, maybe I think four or five years ago. I don't remember exactly when. Um, oh man! And then we decided <laughs> let's do microservices with Rails. It's it should, it will be awesome. And so that, it, that is the ultimate time suck. I mean, exactly. it can be done right and you really can benefit from it, but it's really hard to get right. And if you don't know what you're doing, oh exactly. man. And everyone says, okay, you want to do microservices, do it, but don't start with it. Build a monolith and then after some time, start extracting some small parts into microservices. And then we know we, we will be able to do it from scratch. So let's do it from, from day zero. And then we did it. And I, uh, it's not a surprise that we failed in the uh, most the most worst way that was possible. I think we lost maybe six, eight months of, of work in a team of, let's say, I think five developers. It was a total waste of time. But at that time, um, we were kind of lucky because then we, uh, the company hired another developer that was like, a, he was meant to be the, the head of engineer of our, our team. And he has a deep knowledge about Rails. So he kind of acted like our mentor and he, he taught to us um, like a lot of stuff. So I worked with him for three years and my, I, I basically made a huge uh, jump in my career being able to work not only with Rails at the time, but also about software architecture and um, like good practices, community, how to write good code and, and things like that. So it was, it was, this, this was quite interesting what happened at that time because we started like completely, um, we, we had no idea of what we were doing. Um, when they, I remember the, the board of the company asking us, how much time do you need for, to rewrite the whole, the whole software? And we were like, hmm, maybe six months. And then, um, it took, they, they, in the end, they gave us like three months to, to rewrite it in the Snow language. This, this is the, the, the receipt of, of the success. Six months was optimistic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then in the end, we, we lost the six months or some more, uh, some more time. And then when, when we, we actually started rewriting with this new guy that, that was teaching us how to do it, um, we, I think it took like, one year or one one year and two months something like that i don't remember the exact time but it was close to one year that it took with more people in the team so it was like we we, yeah. we really had no idea of what we were doing that time <laughs> but in the end it was it was a success we we managed to rewrite it and it's it is running um even nowadays it's still running and it's quite good so it's it, it was a success in the end. <laughs> and was that in Brazil or was that in yeah. Germany? In Brazil? Yeah, in Brazil, Brazil. It was a uh, startup, a small startup that I, that I joined some years ago. And then I left it, went to another company, worked for less than a year. And then I, I came here to Germany to work with Rails as well. How did you wind up in Germany? Um, my family, I have like German... Um, 
ancestrals. Um, my, fa my family came from Germany to Brazil um, around 200 years ago. And then, um, I, like, I am, I'm no German citizen. Uh, I don't have, like, a passport, German passport. But we have, like, um, like, my grandmother speaks German. My mother speaks German. We have this, I, I live in, the, uh, back in Brazil, I used to live in the south of Brazil. And it, we have, like, a strong um, German cultural and, and um, a lot of immigrants, uh, like, old immigrants there. So it's kind of like a very Germanic place, the south of Brazil. Uh, one interesting fact that is that like the city that I li live right now is called Hamburg, and the city that I was born in and, and the one that I was living in is called New Hamburg, because it was oh, founded nice. by German <laughs> like 200 years ago. <laughs> and so since my family is quite German and I had a lot of friends who are German and like a lot of speak the people speak German and so I, I'm, I was quite. Uh, having contact with, with German traditions was very uh, common for me. So I think during my childhood is kind of uh, triggered this curiosity of me of oh, maybe someday going to Germany, seeing how, how things are there, um, seeing how, how are my, like my origins, the origins of, of my family. So this is something that was always with me, this, this feeling of like, mm, maybe, maybe one day I can go there. Um, I wasn't very sure of, of about moving and living here, but I really wanted to, to come here to Germany and to, to try my life here to see what, what Germany has to offer me. And then when in 2017, um, I went to, I spent one month in, in Lisbon with some friends. And then I got one week from this from this whole month, and then I visited some other countries. I went to France, to Netherlands, and then I ended up uh, going to to Germany, to, to to here to Hamburg and to other another city. And then I had a, a couple of friends who lived here, and then I visited them, and I just fell in love with the city. I was it was just in, near the Christmas uh, time in the in the year. Year, um, I think it was the end of November or something like that. And the city was like all Christmas decorations and uh, lights and this Christmas fairs and the streets, markets. It was like uh, incredible. Um, I, I, I couldn't have, um, I, I remember when I was like walking the streets and taking a look at the Christmas markets, I was like speechless. Uh, I was completely astonished with, with some so how can a town be so beautiful beautiful and like this good um mood and everyone having fun and everything so i was like hmm, I, yeah i think I, I must come here and spend some time here and then this guy he was also a software developer and he was working in the same company that i'm working right now and basically he uh referred me to uh, the company and then i did the, the hiring process and got in <laughs> here i am <laughs> It's actually this is a very uh, quite boring story to be honest. <laughs> no, I think it's interesting. I have I have similar feelings about France. My grandmother uh, immigrated to the U.S. from France. Mm. Uh, inter interestingly, nice. by way of Argentina, Paraguay, Canada, and then finally to the U.S. Um, and so it's it's interesting, you know, being able to go back to the areas where, um, you know, where where your roots are. And exactly. I, I've been to where my grandfather grew up in Canada, but I haven't been to where my grandmother grew up. 
And so that that's interesting to me to go back there. Um, you know, I also have ancestors back. Um, I think my great great grandmother immigrated from uh, Denmark. Mm, that's and, nice. Um, my so my grandfather, um, his parents were British, so they they immigrated to Canada from England. And yeah, so I kind of want to go back and see those areas that they're from, but yeah. <laughs> I haven't been able to yet. Um, one thing that I'm curious about, so did you already speak German when you went to Germany then? Because your family spoke mm, No, uh, some, some words, some small phrases. Um, I, I'm used to listening to German because my, my grandmother speaks German, uh, but I really can speak German. Now I'm, I did like four months of classes, German classes before coming here. And then I came here, moved and then I started learning like again and, and continued, but I had to stop because when you got here as a, as a, um, a foreigner, it is quite complicated. Like, especially in, I think in this, the big cities of, of Germany, Hamburg, Berlin, uh, Munich, uh, it's very difficult to, to get a flat to, to like really settle down here. So uh, I had to stop for like three months to arrange everything that was happening with me, like going to the, the consulate, doing my visa stuff, and then finding a flat and moving and then like wow it was it was a crazy crazy time the first months that i spent here so this this i, I could finish everything that i had to do regarding my my staying here in uh now in january so by the end of january i started studying again so now now i'm doing german classes i can speak some stuff already i can understand like train the train announcements uh and um, like ask for food, ask for drinks and st stuff like that. But I really, I really can't have, like have a conversation in German um, apart from like just a few basic, basic, basic sentence, sentences. I really plan to, to, start, to study and to, to be fluent in German. But I think it will take some time because German is not a, not a very simple language. It's not very easy, but it's, it's possible. I have a lot of friends in here that they came like maybe two, three years ago and they speak perfect a German. It's just right. a matter of really putting some effort into that. Yeah, absolutely. So do they speak English at your office then? Yeah, yeah. It's The, the company is German. Uh, uh, I work for Xing. Uh, they are like a social network for um, professional um, connections. And their, their, their um, market is basically German. So they they have they exist only in Germany, Austria, and uh, Switzerland, and um, so their customers are German. So the the the, the website is German, uh, their product is German, everything is German. The company itself, the official language is English, but I think I, I'm not sure about these numbers, but I think more than half of the of the total employees are German. Um, if the people from other countries are mostly people related to technology. So developers, uh, testers, um, architects, and people uh, from technology, they, because since there's like this uh, lack of, of um, professionals here in, in Europe, in a real way, they kind of have to import everyone. So I think they had to change the company to speak English mostly because of the, the people that are from outside. So we, we speak English. Uh, it's quite funny because in my, in my, my team, we, we are like a 12, uh, 12 in my team. Six of them are German. Me, I have, there's me and another, another guy that's Brazilian sits on, on my side. So we speak part of the time when, when we were talking to each other, we speak Portuguese. 
and then we are talking to everyone else. We are um, speaking in English, but the German people, they sometimes they speak German between them. And then everyone else that doesn't, that's not German, we, we are, everyone is learning German. So we kind of try to, to focus and try to understand what they are saying. And sometimes we get a word and then we repeat and then we, we, can't, we try to, to um, get into their conversation and be part of it. But we are mostly annoying them with that actually. <laughs> so it's kind of half English, half Portuguese, half listening to German, something like that. <laughs> no, that makes sense. I lived in Italy for two years and- oh, uh, Nice. Um, they gave us eight weeks of language training and then sent us. <laughs> so, you know, you do you get speak there. Italian? I do speak Italian. Oh, that's nice. Um, I was there as a missionary for the, for, for the church that I belong to. Oh. And uh, yeah. So uh, anyway, it was just interesting because, you know, after like two or three months, you're really kind of getting it. Yeah. Um, of course, I was a missionary. So I was out there talking to people in Italian all day. Oh, and, and I think awesome. If you really, I think I think that's what made the difference is just yeah, just the practice. So exactly, exactly. If you but, you really have the opportunity to really talk and be challenged to to listen to a lot of people and with different acts and everything, that, that I think this is the way that really will learn and be able to be fluent in a language. Hey, folks, let me tell you about a really cool thing. It's the .dot tech domains. Listen, you work in tech. I work in tech. We all do things that affect technology. So why not have it reflected in our domain names? If you head over to get.tech or head over to your favorite domain registrar, you can pick up a .tech domain right now. In fact, if you want to get show notes for this show, you can check them out at myrubystory.tech. Yeah, that's the other thing that's interesting about that particular aspect of life is that um, I think here in the U.S., we... I'm trying to think. We we kind of get used to the accents that are here, but the accents in the U.S. are just they're just kind of driven by the way people talk, and so they're they're pretty similar to each other. They are different, but they're pretty similar. Some people it's really heavy, but most people you know they they kind of have the mid midwestern accent that I do, and and so if you're learning English, you can pretty much understand people across the U.S. And then you get, you, you know, across the world, then you get the British and, you know, Australian and, you know, other accents that way. But um, I think, I don't think people realize within the U.S. that in parts of Europe, they actually have different dialects. And so, for example, in Italy, um, the dialects are wildly different from Italian. Um, some of the dialects in northern Italy are also closer to German than they are to Italian. Yeah, exactly. so the accents when they speak Italian to you are really different. And so um, I started in the middle of Tuscany and I understood almost everybody, but there was a guy that worked in a newsstand that we walked past every day and he'd stop us and wave at us and talk to us. And I didn't understand him for the first four months that Not I was <laughs> because he was from Naples and his accent was just so different from people in the middle of Tuscany, which is, um, it, Italian is actually the, the Florentine dialect, right? So um, if you go to Florence, the, you're speaking the dialect when you're speaking Italian. Mm. Um, but yeah, anyway, so it was just interesting. So I understood pretty much everybody, you know, in town except him. <laughs> you know, some, of the, some of the other people that, you know, I moved to a different part of Italy, you know, and, and, and taught there and same thing, right? It was, yeah. the, their accent was uh, slightly different, but again, you know, 
people had come up from southern Italy or down from northern Italy, like the the deep north, and their accents were different enough to where it took a little bit of work to get to understand them. Yeah, it's the same as um, in Germany. It's the same. I I don't know how many uh, dialects we have here. Um, there's there's the accent and their dialect, and basically a dialect is a completely new language. Um, it's it, it's really difficult. I I don't speak German, but what what I've spoken with people here, they really they can't understand each other if they speak in different dialects. There's this the uh, we, we have the Hochdeutsch that is the main German like base language, and if you go there are some cities close to here to here in Hamburg that they speak Plattdeutsch. That is okay. It's it's Deutsch, but it's a completely different, completely different language. So they can't understand yeah. each other. It's like, how, but you're living in the same country. How can't you understand each other? This is quite weird. We, at least, at least in Brazil, we don't have it. We have as the same as, as in US. You have accents, but you can understand everyone. Depending, it doesn't matter where you are in the country. You can understand everyone. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, so it, it makes a lot of fun. I think. <laughs> but, yeah, and in Italy, most of the um, most of the dialects are heavily Latin based, yeah. just like Italian is. And so you can kind of understand some of them, but you know, some of them are really, really, really different. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I want to kind of get back to uh, talking about Ruby here for a minute. Um, yeah. When we had you on the show, we were talking much more about like kind of an ops setup, right? We were talking about creating a, a Heroku like environment. Yeah. Uh, so how much ops do you do versus how much programming? Um, nowadays, um, almost no ops. Um, I still have to do a, uh, to deal a little bit with, um, some like configurations, but like what I most do nowadays is having to configure, um, like Jenkins jobs, for example, having to write some very base, basic shell commands and stuff like that. I, I mean, in my my daily work, um, we in the, this company that I'm working right now, they have their their own infrastructure, and we as developers we have uh, little to no contact with that. Actually, we can define, we can do things on our own, like I want, like for example, if I wanted to uh, install a new queue system and then. Uh, manage it on my own, on my team, and then um, like try to use something different. I could do that. I, I'm I'm allowed to do that. But um, since I just got to the company and to my team, um, I'm first trying to get used to everything because since the, it's a huge company, they do this my, microservices stuff, and there there are like more than a hundred different applications running. Uh, concurrently and um, it's quite complex the architecture so I'm not really trying to uh, change stuff or to innovate a lot because I really want to first be comfortable working with the current set of technology uh, tools we have right now so answering your question um, I have I have very very almost no contact with with ops nowadays I still like it uh, but I, I can only do some small automation scripts, some Jenkins jobs, some stuff like that. No real uh, going to servers and configuring stuff and writing like installing Linux and configuring that kind of stuff. Nowadays, only for for fun at home. 
to work no no more just more coding and we we are rewriting uh, parts of the application that was written we had the, the application that I work right right now is uh, it's also kind of a legacy application it has like seven to eight years and the, the, the whole team changed a few times so we have different patterns of architecture uh, architecture architecture oh, wow that's got to be fun yeah <laughs> I, I wish I could say fun <laughs> <laughs> I say fun I'm not on that team <laughs> it's a challenge but it's it's something that we are trying to deal with and we are like one of the new the newest team and we are trying to kind of um, make everything works more or less in the same way so we are trying to rewrite it so now lately i'm a lot into trying to understand and to think about a good architecture for for the, the application itself so i'm kind of coding some some part of time but also a lot into um, flow diagrams and trying to understand business rules and mapping stuff to try to clean up the software a little bit. That's what I'm mostly, I, I think I've been working like in one, in refactoring one single feature for the past, I think four weeks or so. I'm, tr I'm, I'm basically mapping what it does to try to understand what, what it, it actually does nowadays and then try to map what we wanted to do and then rewrite it and refactor it. That's a lot of work. It's sometimes it's quite frustrating, but it's, it's, it's being interesting because it's, it is a challenge. Um, in, in it's a very complex system and having to work with that, having to understand what's going on, having to follow everything. It's like, it is, it's interesting. <laughs> We're having yeah. sometimes. I'll tell you, uh, my attention spans about a half a day. If it takes more than half a day, I better be about done. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. That I feel. can't even imagine. I know that feel. Yeah, nice. but I know that it's like if, if uh, at least what I'm thinking uh, when I when I face this kind of situations that so, someone someone has to do it. Um, if it's not me it will be someone else, but someone yeah. will be courageous to really dive deep into this kind of mess and try to understand and try to make it better. So I'm trying to do my best at that, that moment. It's, it is complicated, it's difficult, but it's, it's something that can be, can be very good. Yeah. To really manage to do it. I may fail in the end, but I'll try. <laughs> well, and, and that's, that's where things move forward, right? Is, you know, you take ownership of something and go for it. Yeah. And, you know, that's where you're going to learn. That's where you're going to add value to the company you work for. And it's, it's a really important outlook for people to have in programming. Exactly. Exactly. It is, um, this is exactly what I said, uh, ownership. Um, I think that maybe this was what wasn't present in the previous uh, teams. I'm not saying I can be, just telling something that I really don't know because I don't know the, the previous guys, but uh, this is something that we are trying to do. Me and my team, we are like really trying to make things better. Yeah, that's one of the core values that we have here at devchat.tv. And it's really interesting to see people take ownership of stuff. I mean, um, our one of our editors, you know, he gets really involved and 
you know, it's like, Hey, you could do this to improve the audio quality. You could do these kinds of things. And, you know, and, and our other editor is terrific too. Like he just went, he just went on vacation and, uh, I, I think it was a vacation. I sure hope it was a vacation or <laughs> something else. But anyway, um, but yeah, so he took off for the weekend and he made sure that everything was lined up and ready to go so that somebody else could take over what he couldn't get to over the weekend. Yeah. You know, it's that kind of thing, you know, it's the same thing with some of these other things that crop up. Right. So um, our production manager is really good at taking ownership of stuff and it, it, it makes a huge difference, right? Because then it's not just, Oh, well, I didn't get it done because I didn't have enough time or I didn't get it done because it was somebody else's job. You yeah. know, everybody takes ownership of stuff. Yeah. Really care about, about yep. what you are doing. Yep. Yeah, this is really so nice. do you have any other side projects you're working on now or? Um, nowadays, learning German is my main <laughs> side project, I think, because <laughs> it takes a lot of time. Uh, yeah, it does. But no, uh, I went to go uh, some, some um, I think two years ago, I started learning um, Elixir, uh, mm -hmm. but then I kind of stopped. But nowadays, um, we're starting some small side projects in the, in the company, uh, in my team with Elixir. And since it's something that I'm looking at, maybe I'll start digging to Elixir in the, the next uh, moments. But right now, I'm not doing any um, software development related project, side projects. Um, I don't have much time to do that right now because it's, I'm just moved here and a lot of stuff to do. So it's quite complicated. Well, yeah, one nice. thing that I want to do also um, in 2015, um, I was, uh, I gave some classes. I was a teacher for um, around six months. Mm -hmm. It was an amazing experience to to teach people and to try to make them learn stuff it was a um, software development course and it was uh, it was i was i was very um amazed with the experience it was very good and this is something that i really want to do um when i have the opportunity again to maybe i'm not sure if in, here in germany but in anywhere to be able to teach people again and to have this exchange of knowledge because it, at the same time that at the same time that you are teaching and explaining something you are also learning stuff from them and you are you have to push yourself harder to learn something to be able to explain it in a simple way so it was a very interesting thing i hope someday in the the near future i'll be able to do some kind of stuff like that <laughs> yeah that's a lot of what i get out of the podcasts in yeah. fact um, the way you were talking about this mentor that you had for a few years and then the way you do it, we're just talking about the teaching and learning. I mean, we started Ruby Rogues almost eight years ago and my career and my ability to write code just grew leaps and bounds as soon as we started the show because I was talking to people that were, you know, miles ahead of me in their ability to code in Ruby and I was just absorbing all of this knowledge, right? We weren't actually even coding together, but it, it made that big kind of a difference. And sometimes it was me teaching them things, and a lot of times it was them teaching me things. So, yeah, I, I def definitely identify with that. Um, if you want to learn Elixir, I'm also going to recommend that you listen to our Elixir Mix podcast. That's mm. on TV, and you can find that at elixirmix.com. Yeah, good, good. I'll take a look at that. Yeah, next week we're talking to Jose Valim, who's the guy that created Elixir. So, yeah, I have a friend who 
who right now, uh, I think today, tomorrow, and Wednesday, not sure if it's two, two or three days, uh, there's an Elixir conference uh, happening in Prague. And nice. today was uh, the speech, the keynote from, from José Valin. So my friend, my friend, this is also Brazilian, was there and was like, oh my God, look at there, José. The Valin's a Brazilian as well, so we are like kind of proud of, of, of being Brazilians at, that, at this time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the way that lined up, actually. So we, we interviewed Jose on Ruby Rogues like five years ago or something uh, when he first created Elixir. Oh, and we talked to him about Elixir. That was what the episode was about. I'll put a link to that one in the show notes as well. But uh, anyway, so... Um, and he, he, he'd been in the Ruby community for a long, long, long time. Yes, yes. And um, Let me find that episode real quick. But yeah, um, so yeah, we... I went to CodeMash, not CodeMash, um, CodeBean um, in San Francisco. Mm, I've heard of and, that. And, um, you know, he, he did one of the keynotes there as well, but then they announced the Erlang uh, Foundation for the Erlang and Erlang languages. And um, <clears throat> anyway, so, of course, me being me, I'm, I, I've decided that I, I can't afford to be shy because I just don't get what I, I don't get as much of what I want when I'm shy. <laughs> so I went and I sat down on the front row and that's where all the people from the foundation were sitting and getting up, you know, as they took turns presenting their different parts of the uh, Erlang Foundation. So, um, you know, Francesco, who works for Erlang Solutions, he gets up and, you know, he says his piece. And then, um, you know, he and Jose and a bunch of other people are talking and, you know, they keep coming up and sitting down. And finally, uh, Jose winds up sitting next to me. Because I had like five people sit next to me through the whole presentation, right? So Jose sits down and I'm like, hey, how's it going? He's like, fine. I'm like, I'm Chuck. And I showed him my badge because um, people see Charles Maxwood and they, you know, if they're, they've been in the Ruby community for a while or if they've been on Ruby Rogues like he had, they'll recognize the name. And so he's like, oh, hi. And then he's like, hey. Oh, hello. <laughs> hello there. Yeah, I know who you are. I'm like, I'm like, I've been trying to email you. We need to get you on the Elixir podcast. He's like, he's like okay. So that's how that <laughs> Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> it's, it's easier to corner people when they can't get away because they're there in person. <laughs> that's how I got DHH on the, on, uh, when I interviewed him the first time. So same deal. Oh, you interviewed DHH as well? Wow. We've had DHH on Ruby Rogues twice, and I did another show called Rails Coach, and I, we had DHH on that one once. Oh, I have and to watch that. That one, same deal. We, uh, I was at RailsConf. It was during the second keynote. So he gave the first keynote. It was during the second keynote, and I was walking up, and I saw a seat open next to him, so I just sat down. And I said, I want you to come on my podcast. And he looked at me like, <laughs> Okay, and then he did. <laughs> well, that's it, and that's that was it. Oh. Nobody knew who I was at that one, so <laughs> completely shaking of being so nervous. I imagine. <laughs> yeah, the fiftieth podcast I ever did, DHH, and that's wow. how it happened. Anyway, congratulations. Yeah, it's it's been fun. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm gonna push us along to picks, but before we do that, uh, how do people find you online? Um, I have my website that basically shows my social network. So it's easy if, if you just go there and follow the links. Uh, it's uh, 
P-E, Cavalheiro. Um, it's, I won't pronounce that. I won't, I won't spell that, but uh, I'll, I'll put the link on the, on the, on the description. Uh, and there you can find my, my LinkedIn, my Facebook, my Twitter, my everything, my mail, I think even. Don't send me spam, please. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I already got enough. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's the easiest way to, to get in contact with me by any, any ways. I don't use much um, Facebook and this social networks, but I have it. Uh, it's quite kind of inactive nowadays, but um, yeah, I'll, I'll get a notification and I answer um, whenever possible. Nice. Well, um, yeah, that sounds awesome. Um, yeah, let's do some picks. Sorry, I lost my train of thought there for a minute. <laughs> you have some things you want to shout out about on the show? Um, something what? Sorry. So do you have some things you want to shout out about on the show for picks? Perks. Mm, mm, let's think. I didn't think about anything about that. That's okay. But, Is there a TV show you're into these days? You're really enjoying? I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing online uh language classes and then website oh, cool. it's very interesting it's a german um, language learning tool called lingoda.com i think it's they are german um and it's actually quite interesting because it's a real class you have a teacher and have other students and you go into this classroom and you have an actual class but online and you can do whatever you want like you have total flexibility in times so this is something that if someone is trying to learn a new language and doesn't have time to go to a school, but wants to have this teacher figure, um, that's, that's some suggestion. So that's, that's a good one. And TV. I ju actually, I just bought a TV three days ago. I didn't have a TV here. <laughs> <laughs> so I nice. just I installed it a few days ago, and then I'm, now I'm starting to... I didn't watch much German TV because they speak German. And I don't understand it, <laughs> but um, I'm I'm really looking forward to watch the last season of Game of Thrones and stuff like that. It's very best silly bestsellers um, series series. Um, yeah, but <laughs> that's that's most most of it. I don't have much time to leave nowadays because I'm mostly working or learn, learning German. And now I'm doing. I started doing um, Pilates because. Um, Working seated all day long can really hurt your back. So I'm trying to fix it a little bit because I'm starting to get some pain in my back in the past few months. So I don't have much time to do anything. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but yeah, it's been very interesting to, to, to work in here. It's completely different from, from coming from South America, from a developer, development, developing country to one of the strongest economies in the world. And it's everything's so different in here. It's like, if you want to, to come to France, you should you should go because it's you live in states. It's a very nice country, but anyway, I think Europe is very different from from the Americas, America, South American, North American, everything. Uh, if you've never been there, so it's nice. Go for it. <laughs> very cool. Yeah, I, I lived in Italy for two years. I've been to Amsterdam. Um, I'd like to go see more of Europe, but. If you come to Hamburg, give me a call. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, if I ever go to Hamburg, I want to have a hamburger in Hamburg. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Um, so I've got a couple of picks. One is, and this is something that's, uh, you know, since we talked about um, my time in Italy off and on, um, the, the church, um, uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, um, they built a temple in Rome. And, uh, you know, they, they've been talking a lot about it lately. Um, and I, I've just, I really, I'm, I'm actually really sad that I missed going to when they dedicated the temple. But you can go check it out. It's actually really, really cool. They've done some things that they haven't really done for other temples. Um, one of them is, is they have the Christus statue, which is, um, I guess it's in the Church of Our Lady in Denmark is the original. Mm-hmm. But they scanned the the Christus statue and then they scanned the sculptures of all of the apostles that are there as well. So they're, they're the 11 of the 12 original apostles and Paul. I guess, I guess the sculptor didn't do one of Judas. He replaced him with Paul. (laughs) Anyway, uh, so they have that and then they have just the architectural stuff and the, the art. And anyway, it, it is amazing. If you're just looking for some interesting, um, art and architecture and things like that, um, you know, that it, it's just, just amazing um, what they've pulled together there. And it has some particular special meaning for me because I spent so much time teaching the gospel there. Um, and then a specific church in there. Yeah. It's, it's the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. A lot of people call us Mormons. Uh, uh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So, so yeah, I know anyway by that name. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and then the other pick that I have really quickly, um, and I don't really have a good link for it. I'm going to put some pictures up when I pull it together, probably have some like uh, Instagram videos and stuff like that. Um, But I'm working on a podcasting booth that I can take to conferences. And so um, if you're going to be, if anyone's going to be at NGConf, I'm going to try and get it to RubyConf um, and possibly ElixirConf. So if I can work that out, then I'll take it there. And uh, yeah. I'm going to open it up so that any, you know, any other developers who have podcasts want to record interviews, they can come. They yeah. can do it during the, 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 the conference. You mean like during the conference? Yeah. Like, I'm going to try and uh, have them let me set it up in a, in the, in a public space. And then people walking by, they can hear the people inside, you know, talking and yeah. That is very nice. Yeah. I would, I would go there <laughs> for sure. It's nice. All right. Well, um, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up. I actually have another interview right now, so sure, sure. I've got to jump off. But thanks for coming, Pedro. Thank you. Thank you for sure. There was one thing that I, it was fun fact about me. Before becoming a developer, I tried to be a designer, but I failed in the most worst way possible. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily I, for me, I went into software. But <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. I talk to a lot of people and they're like, I, I've never been a good designer. I'm pretty well convinced that most people could be taught to be a decent designer. I'm, I'm yeah. pretty sure I could be, but I've just spent so much time doing it, the, uh, doing other things like programming that, yeah, I'm just not, I'm not good at it. So <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's nice. All right, cool. Thank you. Thank you so much for the time and for, yeah. for the uh, conversation. Yeah, thanks for sharing your experience. And uh, folks, we'll be back next week with another story. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.